The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to hear about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is the founder of a PPC agency that I've hired multiple times. Steve Weiss, who is the founder and CEO of Mute6, a growth agency focused on Facebook that provides intelligent ad solutions to both challenger brands and marketing leaders in B2B and B2C. In just three years since Steve and I first worked together, his agency has grown from three to 130 employees, served hundreds of clients, and generated over half a billion dollars of revenue. He's also the host of the Spend 10K a Day podcast. Here's our interview with the head honcho of one of my go-to agencies, Steve Weiss from Mute6. Steve, what's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, welcome to the MarTech podcast. It's great to finally connect. Definitely, man. I'm excited to contribute. So when we first started working together a couple of years ago, you were like three guys in a basement somewhere in Los Angeles. And now you got admins and getting a hold of you. It's like bumping into a celebrity. <laughs> An F-level celebrity. <laughs> F- Far away from importance. You're an A-plus in my book, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. I would say it's definitely been a journey. You look back, it's crazy. It's crazy how much the agency has grown. I knew you were a talented marketer when we worked together, and we've got a chance to work together a couple different times. I want to talk a little bit about your career and about the agency and about how Mute 6 has grown. Let's start off. How'd you get into marketing? I've been running internet companies since I was like 17 years old. Got my first computer in junior year of high school, and I wanted to sell beats online. I was really big into trying to figure out how to make money creating music. Like most people, you know, you always have these wide dreams and aspirations of doing a really cool job. I was either music or basketball. Be honest, you wanted to be Dr. Dre. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was either a cross between Dr. Dre and Michael Jordan, but being a six foot three Jewish guy who could barely slap the backboard and can't dunk, it was quite difficult to get that next level of ascension and either, you know, creating beats or making the NBA. Work on your free throws. <laughs> exactly. And either you got a sick jump shot or your sick crossover, or you know how to balance numbers. And I got into the internet world and I had a buddy of mine who was a mortgage broker and he asked me if I knew how to generate leads for him over the internet. And I, I didn't really know what a lead was, but what I did know was that I had access to email lists and I knew like at the time 
people were filling out mortgage forms online. This was 2004, 2005. And I felt that I could easily find ways to get mortgage leads. And I ended up procuring him mortgage leads. And I found that there was other people that had other mortgage companies that had the same issue of how do I generate leads online. And I built one of the first mortgage lead generation platforms where I would generate leads off of Google search and then sell those leads online through my platform to lenders in all 50 states. So would you call it an affiliate business where you first started working in the mortgage industry or, or how would you classify that? I would say that it was some components of it, which was affiliates. When I think of affiliates, I think of using third parties to drive traffic to your product or service. So I'd say that we used affiliates to generate leads where we'd buy leads from affiliates and then resell them multiple times to various mortgage lenders. But at its core, it was an arbitrage and a marketing services business where we would figure out ways to generate low cost, high quality leads and arbitrage that to an effective cost per loan for the people that bought our leads. So in your early days, you're starting to understand basically the balance of CAC versus LTV, or you're basically figuring out the arbitrage game when Google AdWords was the primary marketing channel. You were back East at the time, right? Yeah, I'm from New Jersey originally, the beautiful Jersey Shore. Right. At the time I was operating this growing business out of my mom's two-bedroom apartment in the Jersey Shore. And it was quite an adrenaline rush being able to actually see that the money you're spending on advertising is actually turning into money on the other side. It was exciting. I got into it. It was like horse racing to me. I was really big into horse racing as a kid and playing blackjack. It was a similar kind of drive when you buy media, you just get excited. I'm going to stereotype and I'm going to piss somebody off that's sitting in Jersey listening to this podcast, but it sounds like you run a pretty nice internet hustle and you were fist pumping your way to the clubs at night. Oh, there was a little bit of that. There might be some fake IDs. There might be some fist bumping. There might be some really bad dance moves. There could be a little bit of all that. If you're from Jersey, you all have that in your story. (laughs) (laughs) Where there's Asbury Park, Belmar, and pumping up and down and getting excited. But I look back at my childhood and really believe that what happened in my childhood molded me to who I was today and not making the same mistakes that I made when I started my first company. So you're kind of running the hustle, you're grinding, you're running an internet business, you're working with mortgage lenders out of all people. How did that experience parlay you forward? Well, at the end, like the way the story went, I built a company that did almost, I think our best year, we did almost $16 million in revenue. And I think in 2007, I had this sad mortgage crisis where they can't keep writing loans to everyone, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, there's probably a reason for that. (laughs) This wasn't economical to give everyone a loan. So what happens is a lot of the lenders that I was selling leads to went out of business and they couldn't pay the bills that I was charging them for leads. I learned the hard way that just because you're a big company doesn't mean you're always going to pay your bills. So I ended up uh, not getting paid from a lot of lenders. And at the same time, I had to pay Google and I had to pay all affiliates for leads that I was generating. So I, my business went under, I think it was 2007. And you had know, to really go from like having confidence that you're successful and that you're making a difference to back to zero. And I didn't really have a plan to go to college. I was very confident in my business and I really to have such high ups and such low lows it really impacted my life and really molded me to who I am today dealing with struggle and really dealing with hardships and challenge. So when the mortgage crisis happens and your business dries up, it sounds like you're a little depressed about the experience and understandably so. What did you do next? How'd you rebound? It took me a while, but after it happened, I had like really bad anxiety. I don't know if anyone who listens to the podcast has been through having really bad anxiety for a couple of years. I started getting really bad bouts of anxiety attacks and I ended up kind of just moving back home with my mom into a very small apartment in Jersey. And I just tried to get my life together. 
I knew that I was always going to be an entrepreneur, that I would struggle to work for someone. I tried to go back to college. That didn't really work out. I ended up moving down to Orlando, Florida for a little while just to try college again. That didn't work. And then I ended up getting kind of like consulting jobs in digital marketing. Obviously, I had this really weird skill set of really understanding how to find media and how to create ads that convert. And little by little, I started just trying to regain my confidence. I started consulting with a couple of brands and I started getting back into affiliate marketing where I would get paid a cost per action to drive a new leader, a new user. And then I moved to Los Angeles, AFC 2012, with hopes originally to be a stand-up comedian. That was another one of my hobbies when I was younger is I used to think I was funny. So I'd go on stage and make people laugh. And I thought I was going to be the next great Jewish comedian. <laughs> Just you and Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, if Seinfeld could do it, you know, why can't I? It's like, hey, if Michael Jordan can dunk, it can't be that hard. Yeah, look, he makes it look easy. Yeah, Seinfeld, you know. <laughs> tell a couple of jokes, make a couple of dollars, call it a day. But I get out here and I'm like thinking to myself, how do I drive people to my comedy shows? What do I do? And the only way you get stage time is if you bring people. So as the story goes, I end up running ads on Facebook to get people to come to my comedy shows. I take cut-ups of my old comedy videos. I take images that I manufacture and I start running ads and getting people to come to shows. And so incredible success to a point where people were then again asking me, Steve, can you run ads for me and emulate that same success that you were with my e-commerce brand? And Little by little, I'm like, wow, there's not a lot of people that understand creative, understand how to chop up videos. And little by little, I do good work for one client and then they start referring other people. 2013, I have more business and people that want to work for me than I have time. So that's a good problem to have. And then I started saying like, I can't be the one always running the ads. I got to duplicate myself. So I started building kind of like taking videos of myself running ads and trying to duplicate myself, speaking in front of the camera and it turned out to building a little education series for training employees or training new people. And I ended up going on a trip to Israel on birthright and I ended up hiring two people for my trip. And that's kind of how music started really in a more humbly way. We just wanted to survive. So there's a couple things that stick out to me about your story up to the point of when you started mute six. First off, you took the success and the failures very personally. It sounds like that really affected you on a fundamental level as you've gotten older, how have you dealt with the ups and downs? You're working at a larger business. How did those lessons really impact you and what they teach you? I think the biggest learning experience that I took away from that is that with success comes failure and with failure comes success. I think that you can't have one without the other. As much as you think you're successful, there's always going to be something that you're going to have to overcome. You have to prepare yourself kind of mentally to continuously overcome the challenges, regardless of the business you're in. I think that there's never going to be perfection in anything in life. That's kind of the big learning that as much as good things happen, you have to stay humble. You have to wake up every day and reprove yourself. And that's, I think about that every single day I wake up in the morning, even though like we're successful, we have a couple, oh, we got 8,500. Oh, we had case studies. So that's all great. But tomorrow's a new day. And I got to keep waking up and proving myself to everyone that we can execute and be great at what we're, at what we're doing. We've worked together long enough that I think it's fair to say that you're a risk taker. Would you agree with me? Yeah. I mean, I tend to think I like to bet on myself. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way. You know, I, I run a podcast, I run a consulting business. I don't have a typical job, a nine to five and a boss. And I think one of the things that I've had to learn, it sounds similar to your story, is that the results of the campaigns you're running 
don't necessarily dictate how your performance was, right? You could do the best job you possibly can. And sometimes you face headwinds, like there's a mortgage crisis. And sometimes you're not doing your job and you could be doing better, even if the results are great. I think that's something that as guys like you and me mature, the risk takers out there, they understand to evaluate themselves based on their performance, not based on the outcomes. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, this is a client service business. You're a partner. You're someone that is super trusted and there's a chivalry. I feel like there's definitely a sense of chivalry in like in what I do on a daily basis. I feel a deep sense of purpose. And at the end of the day, like when you think about it, it's not always black and white. In a perfect world, it'll all be based on numbers. Like either you're good or you're bad. You know, you hit your numbers, great. You don't hit your numbers, bad. But at the end of the day, like it's not like that. If you run an agency and you overperform and you're spending a lot of money and you're successful, there's always a chance that they're going to see like, wow, you know, we're paying this agency a lot of money and it might make better sense to bring this in house. Nothing personal. You guys are great, but hey, like success, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't type thing. And I think we're a partner. So like literally no matter what, for good or bad, we just want every brand that we work with to be successful. I think that's how we go into each and every relationship. So talk to me about the journey for Mute 6. You mentioned that you met two guys on your trip to Israel. You're living in LA. How did you go from that trip to where you are today? I don't know how I got here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very curious as you are. No, just joking. So what I saw was that if you're just doing what's hot right now, what's hot right now won't be hot six months from now, a year from now. So I saw about four to five years ago that creative and the ability to do videos in a cost-efficient manner is going to be a really, really important element to being successful and a really important unfair advantage in the marketplace. So I ended up investing almost every dollar that we made, at least initial profits, in building a video team. I wanted to build a creative team that could kind of differentiate us and really differentiate the brands that we work with on the newsfeed and on Instagram. So it all kind of catapulted. We wanted to fix two things. We wanted to fix creative and we wanted to fix the way agencies are run. We felt like that a normal agency compensates people on just a base salary. And we wanted to figure out how do we attract the best talent and the smartest people into our collective and do some type of performance model. If they're successful, they're able to share in the profits along with the founders. And that's what we're able to do. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? 
Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. So talk to me about how your model has changed When we first started working together, you were working on Facebook and AdWords primarily. Has the mix of your focus changed? Are you using the same creative services across multiple channels or have you specialized? So now we're what I call full funnel opportunistic marketing agency. Full funnel opportunistic marketing agency. God, you are a marketer. (laughs) (laughs) I love that word opportunistic because... That's the key one. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of buzzwords out there. But when I describe our team, I love to talk about how opportunistic we are because we seize opportunities. If there's a new traffic channel or there's a new methodology or a new way to scale, like we're going to jump in and become and seize the opportunity. And right now we've kind of built teams that are good at each specific area of the funnel. So we have an Amazon team that's growing really fast. We do everything a part of the Amazon listing. We do all the photography, all the optimization, all the Amazon PPC, all the tracking and attribution, et cetera. We have obviously the Google and YouTube practice, which is growing really fast. Leveraging our creative team, we're able to obviously build specific direct response video placements for YouTube now. YouTube has become a key area for customer acquisition. And we also have our creative practice where companies who are already buying media come to us and say, hey, Mutesix can just do creative for us. And then we also have our affiliate practice where we're managing affiliate programs for large brands. So any channel we can buy media and see if our results or an outcome is kind of where we want to be. And that's we're trying to build the best team as humanly possible in each one of those areas. It's funny, you didn't mention Facebook and Instagram with Facebook. And to me, that's what I think of as your specialty. And that's really where we work together the most is running Facebook campaigns for early and maybe let's call it early growth stage companies. Is Facebook still a primary driver for your business? It is. It's still the main acquisition source, I'd say, for us, just because there's no channel that provides the return that Facebook provides. And there's no channel that provides the full funnel results that Facebook provides. If you run a lot of Facebook ads, you're going to see that your YouTube, your Google, your Amazon, every other marketing channel feeds off of Facebook because people discover new products and services on Facebook. There's not one service out there that competes with Facebook in that sense. So when you're thinking about using Facebook as a channel, essentially it's the wheel in the wheel and spoke system where it is driving a lift for your other channels. And it's basically not only an awareness channel, but also a conversion channel. How do you think about attribution from what is happening on Facebook? And how do you match that with what you're doing with the other channels? It's a great question. I think that's a question that a lot of brands are trying to figure out is like, what credit do they give Facebook? If you do a lift study or you try and measure what we call incrementality, you'll see that Facebook does have an impact. If you turn Facebook down, you see that the other channels also go down. But you don't want to just close your eyes and give Facebook all the credit based on the data that's coming out of Facebook. You really want to understand the impact that this channel has across your whole business. And that's why we always highly recommend to really understand what impact Facebook has when you turn budgets up or down. And each brand is differently. I think each company is different, that different impact that Facebook has. And I think that's really kind of the secret sauce of trying to figure out how to scale is to really understand what impact it has on your traffic channel. 
So on top of running what I would say my favorite Facebook agency, and also I know understand that you guys really are opportunistic and work across the entire funnel and multiple channels. But you know, I think of you as the Facebook workhorse just because that's where our relationship was centered. You're also one of my favorite podcast hosts. You're doing the Spend 10K a Day podcast, which I think is really insightful talking about performance marketing. Why did you start the Spend 10K a Day podcast? Well, first off, I just love meeting new people and really sharing what's in my brain. I think that giving back, there's a lot of intel that I've accumulated over the years. There's always been a lot of people that have helped me overcome the boundaries set forth. So the Spend 10K Day podcast was more or less a way that I can give back knowledgeable information. I can jump on a podcast, just talk about what's been working, what I've learned, what tactics, et cetera. And that's kind of how it started was the easiest way for me to give back to the community, whether you're a possible client of music, you're trying to start your own agency, you're trying to start your own brand. It's great for all the above. I share information about everything, how to scale a team, how to hire the right people that I've learned. Obviously, I don't have all the answers, but <laughs> I could share some of the tough lessons as well as some of the wins. I appreciate what you're saying in the sense of wanting to give back to the community and learning from other people that can be on your podcast. And I also want to call out bullshit. There's a reason why you're doing the podcast that has to do with business results as well. Sure, you're trying to be altruistic, but talk to me about the business rationale for creating a podcast. And let's be honest, a podcast is a channel that's really hard to track and really hard to assign value to. What have you found in the podcast space? I don't know if directly podcast has, I mean, oh, I converted to a music client. from a, I don't feel like that's actually a reality. But what I do know is that people like working with authentic people. They like working with people that they listen to, that they understand, that they connect with. And we've had a lot of people that have considered working with music and have listened to my podcast and have connected with the content and have made a decision to move forward based off listening to the podcast while in the sales process. So I feel like there is some correlation to people doing their homework on us. And if you have a service-based business of sorts and you want to be able to connect with your audience in an authentic way, I think there's no better way than the podcast route. So you think of it as a positioning exercise as much as you do as a conversion channel or even awareness? Well, I don't know if the word positioning is the best word, but I would say that I think of the word social proof. I think that's a big word that people want to know that whoever they choose as their marketing partner is both a decent human being and fits their company culture, but also they want to get to know them. They want to get to know who's behind the scenes. And I think that's kind of what the Spend Take a Day podcast has kind of built is this form of social proof. I still love digital marketing, even though I operate a pretty big agency. I'm still very deep in the weeds. I'm not a guy who I can still get in the campaign and make it rain per se, but <laughs> I really enjoy talking about it as well. So let's go back to talking a little bit about how the agency has grown and how your role has changed. You mentioned, and we talked about taking some hard losses earlier in your career and then rediscovering a passion for doing digital marketing. You moved to LA, you meet a couple of guys, you start an agency. The next thing you know, you blink, it's over a hundred people that are working for you. What's life like today running an agency and what are some of the positive and negatives for people that are running services business that are thinking about scaling it? You're learning to deal with people. I think people are the number one thing. You're learning how to sift through discussions or problems with people peer to peer. I think that a lot of my job is trying to figure out how to bring people on that enhance the team per se, that bring something unique as well as are good at their jobs. But how do I keep a team culture that's empowering 
that people really enjoy coming to work to. Um, I think about it a lot. Like, how can I build a company that I would be excited to work for? I know it's really hard, but the number one thing that causes me both stress as well as causes me excitement is to be a leader and to have a positive impact in people's lives. I think that's just the most rewarding thing in the world when you meet someone who works for you that has overcome a lot and now is crushing it and has really enjoys what they do because, frankly, the job market is really hard. There's employers out there that look at people as commodities. That's terrible. Because every person that works for us brings something unique to the team and is awesome in their own right. I appreciate that. And I love the personal approach. And I think that going back to your early career, you mentioned that, you know, like it hurts when you fail and you took that really personally. And I get the sense that you take things to heart. And while you're building your agency, you do the same thing with hiring the people you want them to succeed. And you're taking their results personally as well. You feel responsible for them. hundred percent. You could have said it better, Ben. It's like, each and every one of the people that work for me, I feel personally responsible for their success or failure. I think when you do run a company and you have employees and you see that they're not hitting their goals, I know some people always love to blame that person. And I kind of think of it differently that I take it upon myself to put people in a position to be successful. And if someone's not happy or not hitting their goals or not feeling like they're fitting in, it's just as much on me as everyone else. Because As a manager, I have to put people in positions to be successful. Let's talk a little bit about what you're working on. You're scaling the team. One of the things that occurs to me is that digital marketing channels change frequently over time. Used to be you're buying ads from portals, and then it was just Google AdWords, and now it's Google and Facebook, and there are other new frontiers being developed. How do you think about cultivating new marketing channels, and how much do you invest in what's your workhorse and developing new things? I think of it from a solutions perspective. There's no such thing as running an agency that's stable. You're either evolving at a really fast rate or you're not evolving at all. You're doing the same exact thing every day. And doing the same exact thing every day scares me. So I never have this feeling that we have to stop and just look back and say, wow, that's amazing. We're a big agency. I don't think like that. I kind of think that each day I got to figure out solutions to problems that brands will have six months from now and 12 months from now. And if I don't, they're going to figure out solutions on their own. So We're investing a lot of money into different types of content, into AR, into augmented reality. That's going to be really big on Facebook as well as other traffic platforms. We're investing a lot of time, effort, and money into working with the YouTube team and improving conversions and performance across YouTube. And we're investing a lot of money into bringing cost-efficient video production to the performance marketing world and to e-commerce sites where we believe that there's a huge opportunity now on the production and as well as the creative side to really bring amazing solutions to brands where they don't have to worry about spending three hundred, four $400,000 a shoot where they can get A-plus quality for a lot less. And I think those are the three core areas around creative, around media buying, and around data. That's kind of the way we think about it. We really want to be an innovative provider in creative data as well as media buying. Tell me about your future. How do you think about what you're going to be doing? It seems obviously like you're planning on being at Mute 6 and planning on scaling the team. What's the future look like for you and for the organization? I definitely plan on being here. (laughs) (laughs) We are opening up an office in New York right now, so I've been a bit preoccupied with that. We're building out Our creative team and our Amazon team, those are two core areas that we've been really focusing a lot of effort on. And the number one thing for me is also building out internal learning for our team. I think that there is so much learning going on that we have to figure out how to harness and share with our team so we keep improving their skill set. I think that's the number one thing is how do I systematically build a process for sharing learning across a bigger organization? 
And tell me about what you're going to do personally, not for the organization. You're running the agency. Your agency is evolving. You're now, instead of running the campaigns, you're focused on what's going to be happening six months. Instead of running the campaigns, you're hiring, staffing, and opening offices. What's the the long-term vision for you? Uh, long-term vision for me is to keep having fun. Not very ambiguous word, fun, but the minute it stops becoming fun for me is the minute that I have to really re-examine what makes me happy and what I want to be doing on a daily basis. So, you know, three things I want to become good at this year. Obviously, I want to keep becoming the best possible CEO and keep improving as much as possible and learning. Also, this year, I'm going to be doing an Ironman, which is a new challenge for me, which hopefully I overcome the challenges or half an Ironman, should I say. For everyone listening, I think it's like a mile swim, half marathon, and 50 miles on the bike or something yeah. absurd. It's like halfway around the world, and you, all you get is a bike, and you got to go over an ocean. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and I run half marathons, and I still think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I got a long ways to go. I feel like I keep getting closer, but then I keep getting farther away. Because I'll see that really nice cupcake that is placed in the kitchen strategically when I walk by, and I just can't say no to it. <laughs> Hey, body fat floats. It'll help you with the swim. <laughs> What's your third goal? This year is the year that I really want to try and harness a lot of the intel and a lot of the stuff that has made me successful and really try and share that. We're coming out with a course this year that we're going to be releasing specifically around each specific area of our business, whether it's a course around how to run an agency around specifically agency focus. We're also coming out with a course specifically around email marketing, a course around paid social, just taking a lot of the learnings and a lot of the just conclude secret sauce from U6 and trying to share it with the world in a way that's very transferable and executionable. All right. Last question I have for you. When you think back on your career, the guy in Jersey selling leads to mortgage loan vendors, what advice do you have for junior Steve, for the guys that are just getting started and are thinking about getting into digital marketing and have aspirations to run an agency? I guess what I would say is that where you are now is no indication of where you're going. Take it day by day. Don't try and put too much pressure on yourself to figure it all out. In one day, one month, one year, it's a journey. It took me a long time to figure out this is the path for me. And I think that I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to figure it out immediately. And I couldn't figure it out immediately. I didn't know what my journey or my path was. And I think as I look back into my old age, you know, I'm 33 now, and I feel like it's a journey and you just got to be patient. Steve, I think you're a hustler. I think you're a great marketer. And I think you're inspirational. And the way that you've rebounded and how honest you are about some of the struggles that you face make me appreciate your success. So congratulations. I'm really excited for you, for Daniel, for everybody at Mute6. And you know, if anybody's looking for a marketing agency, I have personally worked with Steve. And this is not a paid promotion at all. But they're the first people I call when I need performance marketing. So thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, congratulations again on building an awesome podcast. I just feel like what you're doing is also very inspirational. I think that you had this idea. I remember we talked about the first time and I was like, wow, that's a really good idea about the MarTech podcast. And you did it, man. You execute on it. I know, I remember we were talking about some of the challenges you went through, man. I just want to say that as much as proud you are of me of having an inspiring story, I also feel the same way about you, man. I appreciate it, man. It's a love fest on the MarTech today. <laughs> and that wraps up this episode of the show. Thanks again to Steve Weiss for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Steve, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You could send him a tweet at stevejw212, or you could visit his website, mute6.com. Or if you want to find the Spend 10K a Day podcast, you could just Google Spend 10K a Day or go to spend10kadaypodcast.com. 
It's one of my favorite podcasts. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash questions, where you can send us our marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could also reach out to me on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on Twitter and on LinkedIn, pretty much everywhere. And if you haven't subscribed yet to the MarTech Podcast and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we got great episodes lined up for you for the rest of the week, the rest of the month. We're going to be doing this all year on a daily basis. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks again to Steve. And until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.